turn together now to the Old Testament and to the book of Psalms, and Psalm number 65. And we can read at the beginning of the psalm. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. You shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. And so on. We'll see from the heading of the psalm that it is a, a psalm of David. And as we read through the psalm, we can understand why Uh, The psalm was a psalm that was sung at particular times uh, during the year, a psalm that was sung at the time of the Passover, at the time of the harvest, and at the time of the Feast of Booths. It's a celebration of God, and it was an opportunity for the people of God to join together in praising God for his goodness, and, and for his goodness in so many different aspects of life. When we read through the psalm, we we see that it is a biography about God. We see in the first part of the psalm the way in which the psalm is about God in his temple. And we see that uh, from uh, verse 1 down to verse 4. We see then the way God is in the creation, in the world around us. We see the way in which, from verses 5 to 8, the way in which he works with us all indeed in deeds in the world around us. And then in the last section from verse 9 to 13, we see the way in which he works in creation and the way in which creation itself has its fruit and blessing because of the marvellous transforming power of God. And so we see God's transforming power in the temple. We see it in the world, in the peoples of the world, and we see it in creation. And in that sense, there's a movement out from recognizing God in our personal relationship with him to seeing God in the beauty of creation and the way in which it produces its harvest in accordance with his promise. When we focus in on the beginning of the psalm, we want to see in particular that, that as surely as it is a, a psalm about God, It is also a psalm about individuals and about community. And as we read through the psalm, we see that there are references to those who, who, the God who hears prayer uh, and the God to whom all flesh will come when iniquities prevail against me, personal, individual, you atone for our transgressions. It brings together something remarkably powerful. And that is when there is confession of sin that moves from the personal to the communal, it brings about the powerful transformation of the awesome deeds of God. And that's what we see happening here. There is such an interaction between the psalmist and God and the people involved with them, so that when there is confession, when there is forgiveness, there is that sense of the joy of all of the people of God. And it is, uh, I'm reminded of 
story that we heard when we were in South Korea and the way in which the, the revival commenced in South Korea, that in one of its churches on a Lord's Day morning, the minister stood up and confessed his sin before the congregation. And once he had done that, one by one, the congregation after him rose and confessed their sins to each other. And the remarkable power of God began to work from that moment. It was a communal confession that came to be a communal forgiveness that was the means and the stepping stone of God to bring blessing to that great nation. That's something of what the psalmist has here. So thinking about these things, we want to look at the, the first part of the psalm and to think of forgiveness and the reorientation of life, not just personal life, but community life as well. Forgiveness and the reorientation of life. We want to see, first of all, that there is a profession in the psalm. And we could say that it is a confession. When iniquities prevail against me, in verse number three, there is a word missing in the translation, and it's missing in a sense that it's being omitted doesn't make any difference. But if I'm going to read the, the original Hebrew language, I'm going to read when words of iniquities prevail against us. And the whole sense of iniquity is giving us the picture of, of twisting and deviating and moving away from the law of God. Here is the path that God has given to us. My iniquity is every deviation away from that, a departure from it, a living in a sense in my according to my own will and my own desires, and apart from the law of God. Iniquities. They are twistings and turnings that happen in our lives. And as John says in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And if there is going to be that personal confession of sin and that communal confession of sin, it's taking part in what David has here with the people of God. It's words of iniquities. And the whole idea of words of iniquities I think alerts us to to the sense of our conscience being awakened in the presence of God. The words of our iniquities as if our sin starts to speak in our own minds and in our own consciences, and speaking so loudly that the, the words of our iniquities remind us that our iniquities are real. And when the words of our iniquities speak, they speak not only to remind us that our iniquities are, are real, but that they are iniquities in the presence of the God who is holy and who cannot look upon our sin. When words of iniquities prevail against me. When they become something that, are, that is superior and stronger than myself, 
when I come to sense the weight and the power of sin, when I, I realize that this is too big for me, it's my problem, but it's too big for me to do anything about my problem, prevailing against me. We sang in Psalm number 32 something of, of how David felt himself at that time. He kept silent. The words of his, of his iniquity when he committed adultery and murder, they were speaking in his, in his conscience and in his mind. And all of that caused him to feel as if he was wasting away. Caused him to feel on the inside like you would feel in the midst of, of the drought of summer, the middle of the desert. His whole being was changed. His strength was dried up. We can imagine what it's like. And perhaps we know what it's been like and perhaps we know what it is like. That when sin is present and sin is unconfessed, that it robs us of interest and of desire, of our strength and of our will and of, of anything to do with God. And to do anything for God is such an effort as if we are dragging ourselves with a, the weight of the world upon our shoulders. That's the image, the picture that the psalmist has here. His whole inner being feeling like the burden and the weight of his sin. And David in Psalm number 51 where he speaks of, of, of his sin so clearly and speaks of the way in which his sin was a sin that arose out of his very being and the very nature. That in iniquity his mother conceived him. He has brought forth in iniquity and in, and in sin. When iniquities prevail against me. What is our sense tonight of, of the great holy God, the great sinners that we are? What, what is our sense of the words of our sins and the word of God? What does that bring about in our experience? Does it lead us to, to, the, to the place where, where David himself came and where he at last, where the silence was broken and he spoke to God of his sin? And here we see the profession that the psalmist makes. It was a confession where God moved him from where he was. He got his sense of purpose back. He got his life back on track. He got his strength back. He got his desire back. He got everything back because of what God had done. You atone for our transgressions. When God worked in his life, iniquity 
is understood as transgression. And that's significant because iniquity is what prevailing against him. That is deviation from the law of God. But when he comes to where God takes him, it's to do with his transgression. As if God is saying to him, you think you just deviated from the way. And that's certainly true. But in actual fact, what happened is that you transgressed, you rebelled against me. And it is as if he's, he's raising the bar of sin and putting it where it belongs. That it is never anything less than rebellion against God. That's what we see the children of Israel doing when they broke God's covenant, when they walked away from Mount Sinai. They transgressed the law of God. They rebelled against him. They pushed God away and followed their own path. The sense of sin is heightened and there you atone for our sins. It's God in the temple in these verses. And the God who, against whom the psalmist has transgressed is a God who makes atonement. When the voice of conscience speaks in all of its condemnation and the grace of God comes to help the crushed person, the very thing that, that is the cause of the guilt and the condemnation is covered by God. It's atoned for. Your sin is covered in the temple of God, in the tabernacle of God, where the high priest goes with the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement and sprinkles it in the presence of God. Sin is covered. The law that they have broken, that they have transgressed. The mercy seat is the atonement cover. And the blood is sprinkled to cover the sins of the people. And as soon as that covering process takes place, and not the kind of covering that's sweeping it under the carpet, but it's the kind of covering that is nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ who makes atonement for our sins, who redeems us, who brings peace through the blood of the cross. The Lamb of God, the one sent into the world as a servant of God, as the one spoken of in Isaiah in chapter 53, in all of his beauty as he comes and our iniquities are laid upon him. He has made a sin offering for us. And that all by the God whom I say I saw in chapter 6. Who was awesome in his holiness. Where he felt his sinnership so much that he felt he was going to die. And the seraphim came with a live coal and placed it on his lips and your iniquity is taken away. And then he heard the voice of the Lord. 
It's that moment of, of reconciliation where, where the God who was silent begins to speak. Who begins to speak to Isaiah as he begins to speak to David. Because he has, in his grace and in his love, forgiven our sin. The profession. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. The forgiveness that takes us from disorientation to reorientation that takes us from the place of, of silence and of the numbness of our minds and of our hearts to God to the place where our whole beings are opened up by God to God and where his word and his love and his spirit all comes down upon us and brings about that, that newness that only God's forgiveness can do. And tonight we can have and should have and pray that we will share in that same profession to let God speak to our sinful hearts so that we will speak to God about our sinful hearts and so that we will sense the heart of God moving with the fullness of his redeeming, ransoming love to give to us that sense of peace and the silence that speaks of peace with God and being restored to harmony with him. The profession. May God grant that that will be yours and mine tonight and always walking with God with a sense of the restoring power of his forgiveness. Secondly, that awakens in David the psalmist a sense of privilege. David spoke in Second Samuel when God spoke to him, Who am I and what is my house that you will speak like this about me. And there is something of that in the moment when we sense the forgiveness of God. Who am I that you, you should come and speak and deal like this or in this way with me? David says in, in, in verse number four, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. Blessed is the one you choose. We spoke in the morning about our need to, to bless those around us, to, to speak the gospel, and to speak well of the gospel to them. We spoke of the way in which God blesses us, and God blesses us with his power and with his enabling that we may serve him. And as we noted before, there are, there are two words translated bless in the, in the Old Testament. And one of them is the word that God uses when we read that God blessed Adam and Eve. 
And it was God's blessing and his empowering word. And it's only God that does that. The word that is used here is, is the word a share or a share, and it speaks of envious desire. To be envied with desire is the passion you choose. It heightens our, our sense of how special and how privileged the person who knows God's forgiveness is. Blessed is the one. And they are to be envied with desire. They, they are special, they are privileged because God has chosen them. God has elected them. God has set them apart for himself. God chose David. He, he was looking for a king after his own heart. He had a plan for Israel. And that plan didn't include Saul as reigning. David was the man of God's own heart. And here that, that same David is, is speaking of God's choice. And he tells us that special is the one that you have chosen in accordance with what is in your heart. And so the, the forgiveness that has so transformed the heart of David brings him to recognize the privilege that all of this happened because he was in the first place, even before he sinned, he was in the heart of God. And there is that sense of, of connecting the forgiveness which he has professed and, and confessed, connecting that forgiveness with the eternal love of God. God the God who loves and the God who chooses who chose Israel, who loved them because he loved them and because he promised to Abraham. It cannot be explained. It, it can be spoken of and it can be rejoiced in that God chooses. And choosing here to bring near and to dwell in your courts. Priests were set apart, and they were set apart to, to serve God. Bring Aaron and his sons near to me at the entrance of the tabernacle. Set them apart for me. Bring near the sons of, of Levi. May they come and serve me. They, they were brought to the, te- to the tabernacle, to the temple. They were in the place of closeness and of nearness to God. And there was no fear in being near to God. The remarkable truth that the God who is so awesome in his holiness in Isaiah chapter 6, the God who is awesome in his holiness on Mount Sinai, is the God who says to Aaron, come near to me. And on this day, on this day once a year, you will come into my presence with the blood of the sacrifice. And as long as you do what I tell you to do, 
There is no fear in drawing near to me. You are drawing near to serve me for the people of Israel to bring into my presence the blood of atonement. But now, here is David speaking about those who are being brought near by God. Ah, tonight we, we are thankful and we rejoice in the same God who, who has chosen and who has loved and who has set apart and who brings us near to, to dwell in the courts of God's temple and God's house. And because Jesus has gone in before us, because he has ransomed us from our sin and has set us free and by his blood we have forgiven us because of that. There is no fear in being near. There is not only delight, but there is boldness. And there is boldness only because of Jesus. And who is the boldest person on this earth tonight? It is the person who understands forgiveness in its fullness and is humble and bold in the presence of Almighty God, the Holy God that I say I did see in chapter 6, but the Holy God that tonight we can be in his presence because he has brought us near through the, the blood of Jesus and he has made us to dwell in his courts. And of course, we're not doing that in the same way as they did. But we have the sense of dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, as David said in Psalm number 91, that sense of the overshadowing of Jesus. How long, said Jesus, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. The sense of privilege, the sensing that we are walking near to God, overshadowed by the presence of the Lord Jesus as our Saviour, by the power of His Spirit, and we rejoice in such a privilege that we can be near, that we can be near without fearing, and that we can be near with boldness, and that we can be near because we have been brought near, and because God wants us near, and God wants to keep us near. The privilege of being brought near. And in that privilege, what would we expect? The best place in the world for a sinner to be the safest place, the most joyful place, we expect to be satisfied. And that's exactly what, what David tells us in the middle of verse 4. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. We will be full up, no half measures, no sense of, 
of us being empty, of, of us having nothing. But the sense of being satisfied in God. The children of Israel, when they ate the manna, if they followed the instructions of God, they were all satisfied. Whoever gathered little had no lack. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Satisfaction in the provision of God. And tonight we look for our satisfaction where we find it in the passion of the Lord Jesus. The psalmist speaks in one of the psalms about, about how, how great the goodness you for them that fear you has kept in store. And the same psalmist in Psalm 23, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The goodness of God. The goodness of God that shines upon us through the good person of the Lord Jesus. The God who shone through and of whom Paul speaks in, in the letter to Titus chapter 3. When the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared. Not because of what we had done. He saved us with the washing of regeneration, with the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he poured out richly upon us through Jesus. The goodness and loving kindness of God. The satisfaction to know what it is to sit near to God in communion with Him and to be fully satisfied in the riches of His grace. The Jesus who, being rich for our sakes, was made poor, that we through His poverty might be made rich. And so, in His goodness, rejoice in the privilege. And we might think that forgiveness itself is, is enough. And at the very beginning, of course it is. But forgiveness brings us into the mansion of God and brings us into to the banquet of God where we begin to feast on his riches in Christ Jesus. And so often we fail to take that step, being at the door of forgiveness, and we, we deny ourselves so much of the goodness of God in his banqueting house. But here, the psalmist wants us to know that that's where we can be truly satisfied. The privilege, having that privilege in our hearts, are you satisfied in the gospel? Are you satisfied in the fullness of Jesus Christ? Are you satisfied in the redeeming love of God that brings forgiveness to a sinner like you and a sinner like me? Are you satisfied in your nearness to God 
and in whose nearness to you the privilege. And finally, what do we expect David to do? He has been silent in the presence of God. He has known forgiveness. We expect him to go and tell about it. So we come from profession to privilege to proclamation. And it's a proclamation through which and in which he participates with all of the people of God who find their joy in God's forgiveness. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. To you shall vows be performed. Praise, rejoicing in God, the God who has done such awesome deeds in verse 5. It's coming to the praise of God. The children of Israel, after the Exodus, they came to sing the song, Who is that God like you? Glorious in holiness, awesome in your deeds, working wonders. You redeemed us from the hand of our enemies. They had this song about the greatness of God. And they sang it together because of what God had done for them individually and what God had done for them personally. And here the psalmist is speaking of the way in which praise is due to God in Zion, where the people of God gather. Zion, that that beautiful hill of God, the hill of his holiness, where God's king is and where God's temple is. Praising God in Mount Zion, it's due to him. And there in that place, vows are performed to him. That sense of commitment to God, the vows that speak of, of our peace with God, and that come out of her nearness to God. And speak now of the devotion of her hearts to the very God who has given us such forgiveness. Performing our vows. And at the root of the words that David uses, there is a sense of, of payment that is made in the context of shalom peace and that is peace on the part of both parties and when this vow is performed by David it is made in the presence of the God to whom he wants to devote himself and he wants to do that because that same God has promised to be devoted to him. And where could we find a more precious place to be and a more precious place to, to express our praise to God than to discover that as much as we want to give our lives to him, that he has sworn on his own life to be forever with us. And so we come to perform 
our vows to God. And tonight may God help us to do so. As I mentioned at the beginning, the importance of, of recognizing your personal sin, recognizing communal sin. May God help us to, to come to this marvelous place of praise that we will sense God's commitment to us in our forgiveness, God's commitment to us in our daily living and be inspired to commit ourselves in a new way to him and so step on from our forgiveness to to explore the, the riches of Christ, the unsearchable riches that are sufficient for our needs, that will satisfy us along life's way and that will feed our hungry souls and hearts and keep us loyal to him every step that we do take. May God help us to have the profession in. May help us to recognize the privilege and may help us to make the proclamation. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we rejoice in you as the great God that you are. We are thankful that you are near to us. We are thankful that you are near in the gospel, that you are near in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus, that you are near in the forgiveness that you give to your children. And we pray tonight that you will bring us all to experience the joy of that nearness that comes from being brought by you, from being far from you, into your near presence and there to find your joy in you, not only in this moment, but every step that we take along life's way. So bless your word to us, we pray and hear us, and have mercy, for we ask all of these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.